0: Welcome to the Hedgemaker broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy word. Mark 14, verses 12 through 21. Mark 14, verses 12 through 21. Let me go ahead and read that passage of Scripture for you. Once again, we're on the last week of the Lord's life. It's the first day of unleavened bread, when they've killed the Passover. His disciples said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? He sendeth forth two of his disciples, Mark does not name them, but I believe it was either Matthew or Luke, that's Peter and John, and he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith to them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber? where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you, which eateth with me, shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Of course, we understand that Jesus is talking about Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord. I never realized this before, but as I was studying for this, some have laid the groundwork for this, the background for this. This is the Last Supper, or the last Passover, uh, that the Lord is going to observe. Some people uh, suggest that the Lord is actually eating the Passover early. and I think that's probably the case. But nonetheless, in the previous verses and this is true in the other Gospels as well, Judas betrayed the Lord to the chief priests and scribes and whoever and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They sought the chief priests and scribes as well as Judas to betray him, to find an opportunity to betray him. And I don't know if it says it here in Mark. Let's just turn back just a, a peek there. I don't know that it said that. It just simply says and, and He thought how he might conveniently betray him. In some of the other Gospels, it talks about the chief priests and the scribes. They didn't want to do this betrayal openly. So they found a place privately where that would take place. And Judas was working with them to do this. And what the commentaries are saying is, if, and assuming, assuming that Jesus observed the Passover in a normal place, that Judas could have said, well, I can just take you to the place where we are observing the Passover. But the Lord knew that Judas was betraying him. And so the disciples here in verse 12 are asking, where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? We're talking about lots of people coming to the city of Jerusalem for Passover and making arrangements to observe the Passover. And just like today, if you're going to travel during times when people travel, you need to make arrangements. Hotels get filled up. Passover, many people, hotels, or whatever they called them in those days, filled places to hold the Passover meal, uh, arrangements filled, and so perhaps the disciples are wondering about this. Where is the Lord preparing to do this? And the commentaries are suggesting that he didn't go to the normal place because he knew that Judas was betraying him. And so he found a secret place and didn't tell the disciples until the very last minute. And so these two disciples, Peter and John as they're named in the other Gospels, are sent to make the preparations and didn't tell the other disciples. So Judas didn't know. Judas couldn't tell the scribes and Pharisees where to meet the Lord. So the Lord then brought the twelve with him on the night they were going to eat the meal. That's an interesting concept there. So the Passover is approaching. Jerusalem, of course, is astir with excitement. Josephus, the notable Jewish historian, estimated somewhere between two and three million people flooding into the city to observe the Passover. That's a lot of pilgrims coming to the city and finding a place to sleep. Now, we don't read about it in the New Testament, but you can imagine the nature, human nature. There's not just the religious aspect to this, but the carnival atmosphere So that also is suggested all of those people milling around. And so the disciples here are asking Jesus where they were to celebrate the Passover. He didn't tell them until he sent his two disciples with these special arrangements. Now did the Lord make the arrangements with the uh, owner of the place for man to be carrying a pitcher? Somebody suggested that would be an odd thing as well because that would normally be the job for the women to carry the water So they would find him and follow him, but the Lord gave these specific directions. Well, what I want to look at is not so much the Passover tonight, but Jesus' confrontation, his appeal, really, to Judas the sinner. We're trying to learn through the Gospel of Mark how to be a servant like Jesus, and how to, in this case, how we should appeal to the sinner and the first thing is to bring up the knowledge of sin. Jesus, of course, worshipped and kept the Jewish feast. He was faithful at that. That was the way in that. They didn't have a local church, right? Not yet. That doesn't come until Acts chapter 2. So he's still in the era of Judaism with the feast, And he's faithful to the feast. It teaches us something. We ought to be faithful to the things of the Lord and not neglect the assembling of ourselves together for whatever purposes God has designed. And, of course, Jesus knew the denial and the betrayal of Judas. We learn from that nothing is hidden from the Lord. He knows it all. We have the tendency to think that we are hiding things from God. Hiding things from people. We're masters at that. And hiding things from God, we think that God does not see. Was it uh, Hagar, the maid? Thou, God, seest? Didn't she name a place that? Because God saw her, God sees and hears and knows it all. Nothing is hidden from Him. The psalmist said in 139, If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I climb to the highest heavens, thou art there. God is everywhere. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. So Jesus knew about the denial and betrayal of Judas. And he is working with Judas in this passage of scripture. Now he's keeping his plans and movements secret. Again, I, I never really saw that before, but I think he's doing that because it wasn't yet quite the time. It's getting close for him to be captured. I right, uh, have a a couple more uh, days or hours or whatever uh, before that takes place. So this is, the disciples did not know where he wanted to celebrate the Passover. He didn't reveal that plan until it was time. And here's another thought. There's a practical application to this. The, the Lord does not reveal those plans to Judas, the betrayer, the sinner. Sometimes we as God's people want to know God's plan. God reveals His plans to two of the special disciples, the closer disciples, Peter and John. And God has a, and He doesn't always, God does not always share His plan, right? Even though we're walking with the Lord. But He's more apt to share His plans with us if we're walking with Him than when we're not walking with Him. There's a practical application for that with us, okay? We use the phrase, the terminology, need to know. People who are here in church for all of the services know what's happening with the church as opposed to folks who just show up for one or two services. We need to know what's going on. And it's not because we're keeping things from some folks, but the more intimate we get with the Lord, the more we should know His ways. The further we stay away from Him, we tend not to know what's going on. And the Lord has a way of keeping those things from us when we are not intimate with Him. And there's a principle there. So the Lord could only share His plan with His faithful and trusted disciples. I'm thinking where that passage is. Is it John 15? Ye are my friends. Okay? The Lord shares that information with us if we're His friends. Abraham was called the friend of God. We ought to be that close with the Lord that we know His plans. One of my seminary professors used to always say that we need to think God's thoughts after Him. We think God's thoughts after Him. We we think His thoughts because we know His thoughts. And uh, the only way we can know a person's thoughts is to get to know them. And so we get to know the Lord, we know His thoughts. What does the Lord think about this, that, or the other thing? Now, the Lord evidently had some pre-planned arrangements. He could be doing this as the Lord and saying, okay, I'm going to perform a miracle here and I'll have a place ready. But humanly speaking, he probably prearranged that, noting the many, many people that were there for Passover and made these arrangements secretly without the disciples knowing and giving them directions to this place to find it. So he probably, humanly speaking, already made these arrangements, but made them secretly or privately. And, of course, he gave the instructions to these faithful and trusted disciples. Paul told Timothy to train men for the ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the same commit thou also to faithful men. All right, so faithful folks are the ones that are entrusted. It's the matter of being a steward, trusted with the things of God. So Judas was not like that. And so the Lord did did not reveal that to him. Although, if they normally met in the upper room, like they do on the Day of Pentecost, wherever that upper room is, so it was the normal place. Judas could have just simply had the scribes and Pharisees call attention to that place. So a pre-planned arrangement with the pre-planned sign, the man carrying the water pitcher on his head, apparently a sign for which the disciples were to quietly follow. And Jesus does not name the homeowner either or tell the disciples where it is. You know, it's on street such and such. But he simply said to follow the man with the picture on his head and then tell the homeowner the master requests where the room is. And then he kept the plans, even though the betrayer, Judas, would have stopped him. And so he... uh, took courage and uh, followed through observing the Passover. So there's the knowledge of sin. Now we need to look at the passage here. We read it all already again, but uh, he sends his disciples there and so forth. And uh, his disciples went forth and found the place. And in the evening, one of them cometh unto him. And then notice verse number 18. It'll kind of introduce the next point as well. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. There's the knowledge of sin. Jesus knew about this ahead of time. Now he wants to point out to Judas, as well as the other disciples, that he knows about the sin. So Jesus knows about the denial and the betrayal. He knows about the the denial and betrayal of any man, not just Judas. And he does not reveal his plans or movements to the man who is denying or betraying him. You know, enemies sometimes infiltrate the camp of an enemy army trying to, and this is what Judas was, he was not a believer and he was infiltrating. The devil, I think, had him planted there and the devil fills him, as we read later to find out the movements of the Lord. And so sometimes an enemy will plant uh, a spy to find out. And we normally don't tell that to the enemy. If a spy finds out, he's pretending to be a follower. One of the things that I marvel about, when the Lord says that one of you is going to betray me, nobody looks at Judas and said, well, it's got to be Judas. He's the black sheep of the twelve disciples. Nobody did that. Nobody suspected Judas at all. That tells us that Judas looked like a good disciple, a faithful disciple. But in his heart, he was not. He privately went to the scribes and Pharisees. The other disciples didn't know about that, but the Lord did. So, the Lord does not reveal his plans and movements to the man who's denying and betraying him. And then the Lord does share these plans with faithful and trusted disciples. But the plans of the Lord are sure. They're not thwarted. Philosophically, does God have plan A, plan B, plan C? You can argue that a little bit. In one sense, yes, because there are conditions. Okay, If people do thus and so, then thus and so will happen. Okay? We'll do plan A, but if they do this, the Lord always knowing what they're going to do, just He knows what Judas is going to do. So from a human perspective, there's a plan B and C or whatever. but God is not blindsided. The Lord Jesus is not caught off guard here. He's the Lord. He's God. You and I are often caught off guard, right and we have to, we make our plans and then something happens. Maybe we get betrayed, and we have to switch gears and go another direction. That's not what's happening with the Lord. He knows what's happening with Judas, and his plans are sure, and they are fixed. So Judas could not stop the plan of the Lord. Let's suppose he would have killed, or had the Lord killed. Okay? Not crucified, but killed. Murdered. Then that would have worked the plan of God. But that's not possible because God is in control. So Judas was not going to stop the plans of God. There's comfort in that. You and I don't have control over those things like Jesus does. But we can rest in the fact that God is in control. When there are trouble, there are trials, what have you, God is in control. The plans are sure. They're fixed. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We even have a verse in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, talking about the difference between the natural man and the, the, the carnal man and the spiritual man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That would be Judas. Judas did not comprehend the spiritual things of God. You know, if you put yourself into his sandals, he's thinking, ah, we talked about this the last time we were in Mark, that Judas is thinking, well, Jesus is not the Messiah he claimed to be. And so I can go against him and betray him and give him over, turn him over to the scribes and Pharisees. Little did he know that wasn't going to work. But that was his thinking because he thought that Jesus was not the Messiah. So he was a natural man who did not discern the things of the Spirit of God. And he was walking in darkness. Now, we already introduced it with verse number 8. We have this knowledge of sin which God knows, and he's trying to make that known to Judas. So now there is a call for repentance. One of our tasks is to make people aware of sin, to give them the knowledge of sin. Another thing is to issue them a call for repentance. Isn't this the ministry of John the Baptist? Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he also warned them or told them about their need of a Savior. They were sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is calling and giving opportunity for Judas to repent. All right? He says, he doesn't point it out. He could have. He could have said, Judas. You are going to betray me. But he didn't do that, right? He wanted Judas to confess his own sin. It's like God walking in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. And God says, Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was. What he wanted Adam to do, I'm here, I'm a sinner, I've violated your word. He wanted Judas to do that same thing. So he says... One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. The first opportunity that God gave to stir conviction within Judas. And so God gives, and we find this, God gives ample opportunity for folks to repent. The gospel is given. One of you is going to betray me. And now he should have recognized that as God's call to repentance. Note what happened to the faithful and trusted disciples. It says they were stirred. Verse 19. They began to be sorrowful. Okay, they're stirred in their hearts. They're grieved in their hearts. Sorrowful in their hearts. Heaviness in their hearts. Somebody's going to betray the Lord? What? How can that be? And they're all then going to say, is it I? Another said, is it I? I remember one time I was preaching in chapel at uh, Maryland Memphis Bible College on staff at the college. There was something happened. I don't even remember what it was. And I happened to address it in chapel. And I had one of the sweetest girls come up after me after chapel and said, uh, Mr. Henneis, are you talking about me? One of the most faithful students in the college. That's the way the faithful disciples are. Is it me? Yeah, we got our toes stepped on this week, didn't we? And uh, one of the fellows from York, he said, we got trampled the other night, said, I hope we don't get quite as beat up left tonight. But uh, when, when we get preached at, the idea is, is it me? It's so easy to say, oh yeah, that would be good for, for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Boy, I wish they were here to hear this. But it's for us. Because we're all sinners. And so these faithful disciples are saying, am I the one that's going to betray the Lord? They're grieved in their hearts, sorrowful in their hearts. And they're stirred to examine their hearts. Is it I? That's the way we ought to be. That's the way we should. So the man that should have been convicted was not. Isn't that the way preaching is? Yeah, folks come to church, they listen and hear the preaching. Folks that ought to be convicted or not, Folks that ought to be grieved are not. Folks that ought to examine their hearts are not. Folks that ought to be sorrowing because of the great grief of sin are not. Those that ought to repent are not. But all of us who are faithful disciples ought to be like the faithful disciples here. Are you talking about me, Lord? Am I the one? We have the tendency to think, well, I won't betray the Lord. I'm a faithful servant. Look at what I do. I this and I, isn't that like the devil? We need to know the weakness of the human flesh. And we need to know that we need to always examine ourselves and not others. Psalm 39, 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and uh, see if there be any wicked way in me. Now, Jesus gives Judas a second chance. Okay, The first chance there in verse number 18, a second chance in verse 20. Okay, He's answering the disciples. They're all saying, is it I, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve. One of the twelve. Yes, it's one of you that dippeth with me in the dish. Now, Mark doesn't go on to explain this. One of the other Gospels mentions that it was Judas. But once again, all of the disciples are dipping with the Lord in the okay? They're all. That's the way they had the meal. So they didn't recognize that it was Judas when it was done. I can imagine that when that happened, Jesus looked into the eyes of Judas, gave him another opportunity, Judas, are you going to repent? And those piercing eyes, I can just imagine that happening. But Judas did not take that chance. He left without an excuse. In fact, it doesn't tell us here in this one, but he went out. Escaped from the other disciples. Again, the other disciples didn't recognize The gospel that mentions this said they thought that he said uh, you it was Judas because he had the bag. He was the treasurer and and he had an assignment for him to do. And so he went out to do it. He said that that thou doest do quickly. Judas was deceived and the other twelve the other eleven were deceived, none of them recognizing that he was the one about whom the Lord was speaking. So in essence, the Lord was telling Judas without calling him by name, Judas, I know your sin. I know that you are the one who is going to betray me. But he gave him opportunity. And that's the Lord. The Lord gives ample opportunity. There's a need for repentance, right? Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, both say the same thing. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is necessary. That's a whole doctrine to preach and proclaim throughout the Word of God. Repentance is necessary. So we've seen that there is the knowledge of sin. There's a call for repentance. And now there is a warning for failing to repent. Look at verse number 21. Verse 18, the first opportunity to repent. Verse 20, the second opportunity to repent. Judas does not do that. So now a warning. And I think this is part of our task as servants of the Lord to appeal to the sinner. Make them aware of the sin. Give them the knowledge of sin. Give a call for repentance. And then give a warning when we fail to repent. It's difficult to do, but this is the message of the evangelists. Servants of the Lord. Verse 21 says, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. You could really say this is a third opportunity to repent. Good were it for that man if he were never born. So there's a warning here if we fail to repent. Now, we as Christians, we've trusted Christ as Savior. We're not going to lose our salvation, but there's still a need for repentance, right? When we sin, there's a need for repentance. Okay, to return from that sin, to change our minds about it and turn around, go the opposite way. And Jesus here is giving Judas a last warning. Again, we see the Lord always giving ample opportunity for folks to change and do what they are going to do. This is a task for parents. Okay, I've watched some parents, I don't know all the details about how they're parenting, but uh, sometimes I wonder as I watch them if they've given ample warning. Some parents give too much warning, right? If you don't stop that, I'm going to. 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 Well, when are you going to? (laughs) You know? All right? Uh, And then it seems like there's some, as soon as a child does something, boom! The Lord judges after He gives ample warning. Teacher does this in the class. He said, all right, here's, we're going to start the school year. Here are the rules for operating this classroom. Okay, if you violate here's the punishment. And uh, we usually have, uh, in school, we usually have a rule book of some sort, a handbook or something, whatever we call it. So there's ample opportunity for folks to be warned about the judgment that comes. Well, the Bible's the same way. God talks about a judgment, but he gives ample warning about that opportunities to repent and warning about it. Judas was warned of the terrible judgment that was to come. Woe to that man if he betrays me. It would have been better had he not been born than to face the terrible judgment that is going to come to him because he will not repent. Jesus knew the destiny of this sinner, the terrible fate that awaited him. And so that's why he says it would have been better if he never had been born. Don't take that phrase all by itself. It would have been better if he had not been born. Better if he had not been born than to face the awful judgment. That's the, that's the inference. Notice the grace of God in all of this. The grace of God always, always in the midst of judgment, you find the grace of God. The law said, if you disobey mom and dad, you're to be stoned. Well, by the grace of God, they were not. The law was there to show you your sin. So the sinner is always told in advance before judgment ever comes or is ever pronounced. This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached to church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.